Welcome to Grace Community Church On Demand, the weekly podcast from the Sunday services at Grace Community Church in Rupert, Idaho. Here at Grace, we believe in building the kingdom of God one person at a time. We're passionate about loving God, loving people, and following Jesus. Let's get into this week's message with Pastor Travis Turner. I'm super excited. We're going to be talking about heaven. We're in a in a series called I got real fancy with the name. It's called Heaven. It's like, we're going to talk about heaven, and it's about heaven. And This is the third message in this series called Heaven. And, and I'm going to preface this by saying, just as I've done all along, I am not an expert on this topic. I'm not an expert on this topic. I've never been to heaven. And um, some people are privileged to have been given a vision about heaven. I've not been given a vision about heaven. Um, Not seen what it looks like. I think that would be pretty cool. Um, Wish we all could see what it it looked like because it might change, you know, how we live and some of the things that we do. But we do have God's Word that gives us a little bit of insight as to what we can expect um, on this topic called heaven. So, yeah, listen, if you're in junior high or high school, Um, We'd like to dismiss you right now to the youth room. You're more than welcome. They're going to be going over the same stuff we're going over here today. But uh, come on, let's put it up for our junior high and high school students. Awesome. I love that. Love these young people. And so talking about heaven, I almost feel like a priest that's never been married talking about marriage. You know what I'm saying? It's like you can read a lot about it, but you've never really, you know, experienced it, and there's no way you could be an expert on it because you've never walked it out. And so I want you to know today, and this is so that I don't get any hate mail or, boy, can you believe Pastor Travis said this or that? There's going to be some things that I'm going to share with you that are going to be a little bit of a stretch. And I'm letting you know that on the front end. I'm not sharing it with you because it's gospel. I'm going to share with you my thoughts on this, some of my thoughts on this topic called heaven. Now, some of the things I'm going to come to you and say, listen, it doesn't matter what I think and it doesn't matter what you think, but the Bible is pretty clear on this topic, you know, this point. And so I'll let you know when it's that, but I will also let you know when I'm stretching a little bit, and I'm telling you that whenever I stretch, you don't have to put any weight in what I'm saying, okay? Don't think that I'm making a new, you know, a new gospel. I'm not trying to create something that's not there. I'm just trying to approach this topic called heaven, which we know limited information about, And I'm really trying to make sense of it in my mind, which can sometimes be a scary thing. This is why I'm telling you, please, when I say this is my thought, you could just check out for the next 30 seconds if you want, or you can listen and say, man, that dude is all wet, and I don't know. And then if something comes up in the conversation where you're like, no, the scripture really says this over here, please come and talk to me about it, because you might shed some light on my views and my opinions, okay? It's okay for us to do that, right? Iron sharpening iron. And so I give you that, um, that open door. Please do that. And, and let's just enjoy today. Can we just enjoy today? Amen. So Lord, we pray over your word today. And we pray, God, that you would just open our understanding, God, and, and speak to us the things that are important to you on this topic 
called heaven. So today what I want to do is I want you to um, realize that the first place that I'm going to, yes. Oh, I'm sorry. No, you were praying. I'm so sorry. I'm so, <laughs> I am so sorry, March. <laughs> I, am, I was like, yes, we got a question over here on the back right. No, she was praying. I love that. I love that. <laughs> I think both of our I think both of our faces were just like oh what just happened whenever we uh, that was so funny I love that okay it's gonna be a good day it's already started off good okay um, so the <laughs> you can raise your hand I promise you I won't call on you I um, that was priceless uh, yes in the back no all right so the first place that I want to take you to is the cross. Of Jesus Christ. How many of you know that it all begins at the cross, right? Like the cross is so important in our walk and our relationship with God. Come on, the cross represents the death, the burial, and the resurrection. In fact, if you haven't been baptized, I highly encourage you to get baptized. And when you are baptized, you're baptized into the body of Christ. Just as he was buried and was, was in the tomb for three days and came up out of the water, there's a wonderful representation that when, that, that when you come up out of that water, you come up as a new creation in Christ Jesus. It has everything to do with the death, the burial, and the resurrection. You're saying, listen, I'm dying out to myself. I'm being buried with Christ with the idea that I'm going to come up out of that water as a new creation in Christ Jesus. I just love the picture that that, that, that paints. But that's what the cross of Jesus Christ represents is the death the burial, and the resurrection. Somebody say amen. amen. So what happened at the cross? Why is it so significant? Because at the moment that Jesus said it is finished, and at the moment that he gave up the ghost, at the moment that he died, all of the rules, all of the ceremonies, all of the rituals, all the sacrifices, all of those things that people had been following for all of those years beforehand, they were complete. Somebody say they were complete. complete. Come on, when he, was, when he said it is finished, he was saying, listen, all of that was complete. How many of you know that Jesus was the perfect Lamb of God? How many of you know that he was the sacrificial sacrifice that anybody that believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life? Do you believe that here today? Amen. Amen. How many of you know that he took the sins of the world on himself and he died with those sins on himself so that we could have forgiveness of sins as we believe in him and trust him and repent and say, God, please come and be the Lord of my life. How many of you believe that? So when he died on that cross, I want you to know that heaven was opened up. Heaven was opened up to everybody, not just a few. You see, before the cross, the, the, the children of Israel, they, they, they had to... Uh, they had to sacrifice once a year. They had to kill an animal. Aren't you glad that we don't have to kill animals anymore? And, and guess what? When they would sacrifice an animal on an altar, it wouldn't do away with their sin like Jesus promises that if you ask me to forgive you of your sins, I'll throw it as far as the east is from the west, never to be brought up against you again. It's done. I've forgotten about it. You should too. It would just push it back a year. And you had to do the same thing the next year. You had to kill another animal and spill the blood. Of, of, of an animal. And so when Jesus died on the cross, heaven was opened up and the presence of God was made available to everybody. You see, once a year, there was a place called the Holy of Holies. In the temple, there was the holy place. It was an inner room. And then there was a, a deeper room that was, that was separated. The holy place and the Holy of Holies was separated with a veil 
a, a large, very large curtain. And when Jesus died, the Bible says that, that that curtain was rent from the top all the way to the bottom. And what you need to know is when there was a holy place and then there was a, a holy of holies, two separate rooms, what you need to know is there was only one time a year that a priest could go into the holy of holies. And, and he had to be without sin. They tied a bell around him and a, and a rope around his leg. And so if they, if they heard that bell stop ringing, that meant that that dude was dead. And, you know, they just pulled him right back on out. And so not only could one person go in there once a year, but you had to almost be perfect in the sight of God following all of the laws or else you would just fall dead in his presence. And I'm just telling you this, that the cool thing, I want you to picture this. At the moment that Jesus died on the cross, that big old curtain was rent from the top. It was tore from the top all the way to the bottom, representing that every single one of us could enter into his presence at any single time. There was no separation, but it was made available to everybody. Amen? Amen. How many of you know that that's good news? And, and just for your point of reference, it's in Mark chapter 15 and verse 38 that says the veil was torn from the top to the bottom. Mark 16 and verse 15, so Jesus has died and, um, and, he, and he's been buried and he raises again on the third day and he begins to appear to many people, but he appears to the 11 disciples and this is what he says to them in Mark 16, 15, he says to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Get, preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Do you know what he was saying here? He was saying, listen, you have been given the message, the good news. What I want you to do is I want you to go tell the people. What was the result of people hearing the good news? They were set free from all of the rules. They were set free from all the regulations. They were set free from all of the ceremonies. They were set free from all the condemnation. They were set free. Do you know this, that there were 667 rules for the children of Israel to follow? And some of them really tried to follow all of them to the letter of the law. And don't you know that if you broke one of them, you broke them all? And then the Sadducees, I think they call them the Sadducees because when you try to follow this many rules, you're sad, you see. The cheesy, I know, I know. The Sadducees and the Pharisees, they added another 2,500 rules on top of the 667 rules. So over 3,000 rules that they, were, that they were trying to follow so that they could have right relationship with God. Why is this good news that Jesus went to the cross? Because when he went to the cross, those 3,000 rules and regulations were, 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 were just dropped off down to two. What are the two that we need to follow today? Love the Lord your God with all your, uh, your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. And the second is like that one, love your neighbor as yourself. In this, the, 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 the law is fulfilled. Amen. The gospel is complete. Isn't that great news? You know what I almost wonder? I almost wonder if it would be beneficial if we were a people that had to follow a bunch of rules and regulations just for a period of time so that we could appreciate 
the good news of the gospel and what Jesus really did for us. Because I think sometimes as Western culture and the Western church, we just take it for granted. Way too much for granted. And we say, I can't even love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and my neighbor as myself. Like, maybe we can love God with all that, but when it comes to the neighbor, how many of you know that we make so many excuses? It's like, you don't, you don't know my neighbor. Well, he didn't say, if you know your neighbor really well, and he's a real fancy guy and a real sweetheart, then no, he said, listen, this is the can't command. All right, So Jesus, when he went to the cross, he said, no more. And I'm telling you, that's good news. I want you to turn your Bible to the book of Acts chapter 10. We're going to spend a little bit of time here. I'm going to paraphrase the first portion of it. But I want you to read this for yourself at a later time. And, um, and, and just see if you come to the same conclusions that I'm sharing with you today. Acts chapter 10 and verse 9. Here you've got Peter And the Bible says that Peter is up on his roof and he's praying. And he's probably fasting and praying. um, Because it said about the sixth hour he became extremely hungry. And we need to know this, that many times in the Bible if somebody was praying, he was also fasting as well. We don't talk enough about fasting, I don't believe, because it's hard to talk about. But most of the time when the Bible talks about prayer, there's fasting is the little brother and, or if they're talking about fasting, that prayer is definitely always a part of the fast. But uh, he was probably fasting and praying. But it says he was praying, and about the sixth hour he became hungry. And about the time that the food was being prepared for him, Peter had a vision. So he's up on the roof, and God gives him a vision. He sees an object coming from out of heaven. Somebody say heaven. heaven. All right. And this object looked like a very large sheet. Think of your bed sheet nice and white and clean, and, and this, this big, huge, massive bed sheet is coming down, and it's being lowered down to the earth by the four corners of the sheet. And so as, as Peter is looking at this vision and he's seeing some things, he sees that there are multiple different kinds of animals. There's four-legged animals. Um, there, are, there, there are things that crawl across the ground, um, there, 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 there's probably some shrimps and some, and some pigs and some different things like that within this. It talks about how there were birds from the air that was, that was in this. And he sees this, this object, this sheet being lowered to the ground. And, um, and it's full of all of these animals. And, um, and Peter, what we need to know here is, listen now, look at me real quick. Peter was a Jew. Somebody say a Jew. Peter was used to things being off limits to him. He was used to a lot of different rules. Don't eat this and don't eat that and don't do this and don't do that. Listen, he come out of following, trying to follow 667 rules and probably having the Pharisees and the Sadducees throw on top of him another 2,500 rules. And so he was used to the do's and the don'ts. In fact, some of you are used to the the do's and the don'ts. Some of you come out of a, a religious uh, a religion that has a religious spirit that's attached to it, and it's more about what you're not supposed to do instead of being most about what God has done. And so some of you can relate, some of you can't, but Peter was used to things being off limits. He was used to shellfish being off limits. Anything that eats dead things was off limits. No pork. And so really what he's talking about is all the good stuff was off limits. Like, could you imagine 
a life without bacon. God, thank you for bacon. Thank you that we can eat the bacon. I love me some bacon. We had some burgers, 50-50 burgers last night. 50% beef, 50% bacon, and it was beautiful. It was so good. Man, thank you for bacon. But bacon was off limits. No pork. And so a voice comes from, so he's seeing this vision, and a voice comes from heaven, and the voice says to Peter, get up and eat. And Peter responded to the voice from heaven. What a dummy he was. He said, he said there's no way I'm going to eat. I've never e- ate anything that was unclean or unholy, and I'm not fixing to start now is what Peter basically said. He said, there's no way I'm going to eat anything that's unholy. Verse 15 is where I want to pick up. Again, this is the second time a voice came, and and this voice now is bringing some understanding and some wisdom to the situation. It says, what God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. So this identifies that at one point, what he was seeing was deemed unholy, and so he was rightful in that. But now there's something new. Somebody say something new. God's doing something new. He's saying, no longer. I know this used to be the way, but I'm doing something new. And he's saying, no longer consider what God has cleansed unholy. Verse 16. This happened three times, and immediately the object, that sheet with all those animals, was taken up into the sky. Now, while Peter was greatly perplexed in minds as to what the vision which he had seen might be, so here he is, he's thinking about it. What was that all about? He's confused. He's, he's pondering. He's thinking about it. At that very moment, behold, the men who had sent, been sent by Cornelius, having asked for directions for Simon's house, appeared at the gate. And calling out, they were asking whether Simon who was also called Peter, was staying there. While Peter was reflecting, he's still up on the roof. He's thinking about this vision that God had just given him. The Spirit of the the Lord said to him, Behold, there are three men that are looking for you. And I just want to hit this just real quick because this is fresh. Um, that, That when you pray, God moves. When you stop praying, it's possible for God to stop moving in your... So if you're in a season of drought, if you're in a season of despair, like the first thing that you should probably start doing is just having conversation with God. Because this is what is, I think is amazing. When you speak to God concerning any given thing, it actually moves him. It can move him in that direction. It might not look exactly like you, you want it to look, or, or it, you know, maybe it looks completely different, but you will begin to see God doing incredible things. So if you're in a silent season, you probably should start praying. Okay, I feel better now. So Peter is reflecting on this vision, and this vision is the sheet coming down, and all these animals that are unclean and, and unholy, and, 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 and the voice of the Lord, I believe, says, eat, get up and eat, and Peter's arguing, and he said, I would never touch that unholy food. That's where we are, and so now the voice of the Lord comes to him. It's, a, it's kind of a different story, but still part of the same story. At the same time, he's pondering these things. Verse 20 says, but get up and go downstairs because the company, the men that I've sent, 
um, you know, go to them without any misgivings, for I have sent them myself. Peter goes downstairs to the men and he says, Behold, I am the one that you're looking for. What is the reason for which you have come? They said, Cornelius. Now listen, I want you to listen to what I'm saying here. They said, Cornelius. And then he identifies who Cornelius is. He's a centurion. He's over a hundred men. He's a centurion. He's a righteous and a God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed. So God himself sent somebody, whether it be himself or an angel or something, it says an angel here, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear a message from you. My question is this, what is the message? The message is the gospel that we just read about in Mark 15, 16. Go into all the world and preach the, the gospel, the good news to all creation, that whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, and if they believe not, they're already condemned. That's the message. You see, Cornelius was a generous man. He was a God-fearing man. He paid his tithes, but Cornelius had never heard the gospel. And so, listen, God's saying, listen, here's this guy here. He needs the gospel. I'm going to send Peter to him so that he can hear the gospel and respond to it. I want you to know this, though, that Peter struggled. Why, why do you think Peter would struggle? Because Peter was a Jew, and God came for the Jews, not the Gentiles. Come on, Peter was the chosen people. The Gentiles were filthy and unholy, and, 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 and they didn't think that there was any place for them with God. And so Peter struggled because he was a Gentile. And this is what I believe. I believe that whenever the message came to Peter, the vision came to Peter, get up and eat, I believe that what he was saying is get into the life of this Gentile because this Gentile is not clean. He doesn't follow the rules. He's unholy. He's filthy. He eats things that you would never eat. But for you to have relationship with him, I am making these things that were unclean at one point clean so that there can be relationship between the two of you. Little bit of a stretch, maybe, but I don't think so. That's not even close to where I'm going to stretch you today. So, all right. So, today, it is the same. Some of us can become so religious, and especially, and, and I'm not saying this happens to everybody that's walked with God for a long time, but it's really dangerous for people that have walked with God for a long period of time because we can get settled into a place where it's like, I know all there is to know about God. And then when he does something that is completely outside of, of, of what we think, and usually we think it's a certain way because we don't allow the full gospel to minister to us, I can tell you this, he's not going to do something that is completely contrary to what his word says. You can just know that for sure. But whenever he begins to bring people in that are different than us, maybe they got them big old gauges in their ears, I can tell you one of the coolest things that I like is going, I, 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 I like it, but then I hate it. Going out through the parking lot when there's cigarette butts on the ground. I hate it because I'm the one that has to pick them up. If you're smoking, that's great, that's fine, but pick up your cigarette butts so I don't have to do it, okay? What I love about it 
is that there are people here that aren't perfect. There are broken, messed up people that are coming to church, which is how it should be. And oh, by the way, there's nobody perfect. Even the real goody two-shoes that act like they're perfect, they're not. There's nobody perfect. But I love seeing broken people. Come on, people that are different. People that have never been church-going folks be planted in the house of the Lord because this is what I know. When God's word goes out, it doesn't, hit, it doesn't miss the mark. Amen. Amen. Come on, and, and God begins to change the heart of a person from the inside, and it changes them all the way through, amen? And so let's not be a religious people. We can become so religious that we can build a resistance to what it is that God wants to do in and through our lives. I want you to turn your Bible to the book of Luke chapter 16. We're going to share another story with you. I promise you this is all going to come together. Just bear with me. Luke chapter 16 Verse 19 is where we're going to begin. When you're there, say amen. Luke chapter 16 and verse 19. Luke 16, 19. I know we've got it on the screen. We should have it on the screen up here. Okay. Luke 16 and 19 says this, that there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. So there was a rich man that, that, that had fancy clothes and he lived in luxury uh, every day. I believe that this was the very first MTV Cribs that, uh, that was ever, you know, that it, it, and for those of you that knew what or grew up on MTV, MTV Cribs was, was a show back in the day where you could go in, they would videotape how the, how the, the rich and the, and the wealthy lived and, you know, showed how fancy of cars that they had and, and this and that. And I feel like this is probably the first MTV Cribs. And where we see how people live that are, that are living much more luxurious than we live. But it says that there was a rich man that was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. The Bible says in verse 20, at his gate, so right outside of his property, was laid a beggar named Lazarus. Lazarus was covered with sores and he longed to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. I want you to know this, that this rich man that was so wealthy and, and, and enjoyed this luxurious lifestyle, he was not disconnected from how people lived around him. In fact, every time that he went outside, he saw this, this, this poor beggar, Lazarus, that was, that was you know, dealing with this terrible disability, and he was very, very poor, and he was surrounded by the poor and he was surrounded by all of the needs but you know what he was so self-centered and so you know valued himself that he didn't care about anybody else you know what this is this man was more interested in his stuff than he was interested in people and we're like man how could that happen but don't you know that it happens today all the time sometimes we can be so interested in our stuff and we can forget about having compassion for people. Verse 22, it says this, The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died and he was buried. I think it's interesting that one was carried and one was buried. One was carried because of the way he lived and one was buried because of the way that he lived. Just let that minister to you for a minute. So the rich man was he died and, and, and he was buried in Hades where he was in torment. Somebody say torment. Somebody say torment. 
Somebody say torment just so you know that this is not a good place to be. The Bible classifies this place as being a place of torment. Somebody say it. He was buried in Hades where he was in torment. And he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water to come and to cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. Now listen, where this rich man is, there's a word torment that describes it. There's a word agony that describes it. And there's a word fire that describes it. And this is in your Bible. I'm not stretching this. I'm not trying to add to it. I'm telling you what, that there is a place outside of heaven where people go that is not God's plan or his desire but people will go there that's filled with torment, agony, and fire. And, and this is a reality that you need to take into consideration. This is very real. And for you to discount it and think that you can just live your life however it is that you want to live with no consequences is the most foolish thing that a person can do. This is very real. And this is the word of God. I'm not stretching. I'm not trying to manipulate it. I'm not trying to play on your emotions. I'm just telling you, if you think that, that, that God is foolish, he is not. He has created a place called heaven, which is beautiful, more magnificent than we can ever imagine. But there's also a different place for those that reject him. But Abraham replied, son... Remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony there. And besides all of this, between us and you, there's a great divide that's been set in place so that we can't go there and you can't come here. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. He's like, listen, this is terrible, and I love my brothers, and I don't want them to come to this place. Verse 29, Abraham re replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if somebody from the dead. So he's like, listen, my whole family knows who Lazarus is. We didn't give him nothing. We, we, we wished he would just go away. He was making the, the neighborhood, you know, go south. But they know who he is, and they know that he's not at my gate, and he's dead. So if you send Lazarus to them, they will understand that what it is that, that the, the warning that, 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 I'm, that is being sent is one that needs to be listened to. If you send someone from the dead, they will repent. Verse 31, he said to them, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if somebody rises from the dead. I want you to know that this is such a beautifully clear picture of how what you do in this life affects what you are going to receive in the next life. The truth is, is man, I have sat across the table from people and I have given them valuable wisdom knowing that they're just listening. They're just, you know what I mean? They're, they're listening, but they're not listening 
But I'm telling you, and this is what it's saying, if they're not going to listen to the prophets, if they're not going to listen to, if they're not going to listen to the people that I am sending them all the time to warn them, come on, you're making a dumb decision here, or listen, come on, repent of your sins and ask Jesus to forgive you, then it doesn't matter. I could send a whole legion of dead people and they're not going to listen. Why? Because they are so deceived and their heart is hardened and their conscience has been seared already. They have a place and it's not with me. That's what the Lord's saying here. You need to listen to what I am saying. I don't preach this way very often, but I am telling you that not everybody's going to go to heaven and there's going to be a lot of people that think they're going to and they're not. And they knew better. But they chose, come on, to be blind and deaf and dumb. They rejected what it is that God had for them. So out of this, it's interesting, my first point is this, is that we will be recognized by appearance and by name, both in heaven and in hell. I, I don't think that's a stretch at all. You're going to be recognized by the way that you look, and you will also carry uh, your name. I believe that you will be identified by, by your appearance, how you look, and, and, and by your name. We see that. There's conversation between between. Um, the rich man and, and Abraham, they know one another. The, 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 uh, uh, the rich man recognizes Lazarus is by Abraham's side, and he's calling him by name. There's great conversation there. Number two, we will be in close relationship with one another. The Bible says this, that if somebody says that they love God, but then they hate their brother, that man is a liar. They, they, and so, so, can I just tell you like this, there's not going to be any hermits or recluses in heaven. Not that God's not going to allow you to kind of go off by yourself. How many of you sometimes just like to go off by yourself every once in a while and just enjoy? So you'll be able to do that. I, I really believe that. Even Jesus removed himself from the multitudes and went off by himself and, and had time. So I'm not saying that that's not going to happen. But most people that I've met that are hermits or reclusive, they're that way because they've been wounded and hurt by somebody and they've never dealt with the pain. They've just, they've just built walls and, and, and they don't trust anybody. And, and so how many of you know that all that pain and whatnot is going to be dealt with in heaven? There's not going to be any more of that in, in heaven. And so, so, so I, just, I just believe that we're going to be in great close relationship with one another. My family knows this very well, but the older that I'm getting, not that I'm old, I'm not old. I just want you to know that. I'm not old. I think you're as old as your mind anyway. I don't have to go into that. But the older that I get, the more interested I am and the more I recognize that people from my past that, that have been important to me are more important to me now. Many of those I've just severed relationships because I had to. But I'm just telling you, those people that were important to me from my past are more important to me now than they ever have been. People that I went to high school with and people that I was in the Marine Corps with and, and just people in my, in my history that, that have meant something to me. You know what I love to do is I love to connect with them and have good conversation. Not just talk about where we were when we knew one another, but you know what I love more than anything is just sharing with them what God has done in my life since that time. And then sitting down with ears to listen. 
What has happened in your life? Tell me about your kids and grandkids. I'm at that age now. Grandkids, my goodness. I'm much too young to have a grandson. But I do, and I love it. Wouldn't trade it for anything, but... But do you understand what I'm saying? And so when I don't, when I'm not given the chance to have meaningful conversation, I almost feel robbed. I almost feel like, wow, you know, something was, was missing. Come on, there's something about catching up, encouraging one another, and sharing values. Let me ask you a quick question. Who wants to come to church and feel like you're just being lectured at Sunday after Sunday? You know, there are really people that like that. In fact, I have literally had people leave the church because I don't, they don't feel like they go away whooped enough. It's so people can get conditioned to just about anything. Oh, that was a great sermon. I feel whooped and, and beat up and just, man, that's going to hurt for a while. That was awesome. Something's wrong with you. So, <laughs> I don't think that that's the... Come on, the idea is not that the, the hard things aren't being talked about, but the idea is to be challenged up so that you can leave and have conversation about it. Husbands, wives, around the family, hey, what did you guys think about the message today? What did you guys learn in children's church? You know, getting involved in a small group where you're talking to one another, and that's that iron sharpening iron as one man sharpens or one woman sharpens another. You're working it out. You're talking. This is what it spoke to me. What did it speak to you? I didn't see that, but you understand what I'm saying? That's whenever it starts to take root and really becomes a part of you is when you can talk about it, dialogue about it. And you don't have to be right all the time, right? How many of you appreciate not having to be right all the time? That's too much work to be right all the time. Yeah, so I just want you this to know this, that I believe that if the rich man would have engaged in relationship, the, the poor man, Lazarus, at his gate, it might be possible that that relationship could have changed the course of his life. Maybe that guy was parked there for a reason, Come on to bring the gospel to him. And I just want you to know this, that you're going to enjoy the relationships that you have in heaven. But I also want you to know that you don't have to wait to get to heaven to enjoy the relationships that God has for you. Come on, that's a good word right there. So number three is this. I want you to know this, that we will be a family in heaven. I can draw the conclusion we're the bride of Christ and, and we're adopted into the family. We're going to all be family in heaven. But I do want to hit on this because I think it's super important. There's a lot of people that this is going to kind of offend or, or, or it's just going to kind of mess you up just a little bit. But I want you to know that I'm not sharing with you my opinion. I'm sharing with you what the word of the Lord says. There will not be marriage in heaven. Yeah. Yeah. So... So somebody, somebody, somebody said, praise the Lord. That's not bad news. That's good news. I, <laughs> I love that. That is the funniest thing. I heard a woo-hoo. <laughs> Everybody extend your hand wherever that came from. Uh, that's so funny. There will not be marriage in heaven, but there will be family. And I'm going to go out into now some deeper waters, and I want you just, just to go with me and give me some grace, okay? Um, in Matthew chapter 22, and uh, in verse 23, there's a parable, there's a story of a man that died, and the parable is this, that, 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 and Jesus is talking, he's saying, listen, 
that when a man dies and, and he leaves a widow, the brother of the man is to marry, is to marry the, the woman and give her offspring and raise those children. Now listen, aren't you glad that we don't do this anymore? Come on, how many, you just picture right now, you being married to your brother-in-law or your sister-in-law. Some of you are sitting right next to each other right now maybe and you're, you're, you're like, I'm not even going to look over there. Some of you, you just threw up in your throat and, and, and. But this is what this parable talks about. This parable talks about there's a man that dies and there's a widow that's left. The brother is to marry the woman, have children with her, raise those children. A couple things, take care of the woman, also to, to honor the brother. And so in Matthew 22, 23, there's a man that dies, and, uh, and, and it goes on to say, but there were seven brothers, and every single one of them died. And so I, I want to look up here, just look up here. There's a man and a woman that are married. The man dies. First brother steps in. He dies. Second brother steps in. He dies. Third brother steps in. He dies. Now listen, I'm slow, but I ain't that slow. If I was like the sixth brother, I'd be like, she's like a black widow. I'm not going to, I ain't doing it. I know I'm supposed to, but this is the story. It's like, so fourth brother, he dies. Fifth brother, he dies. Sixth brother, he dies. Seventh brother, he dies. And so this is the story. The question now is, when they get to heaven, whose wife will she be? Because all of us have been with her. All of us have been married to her. Whose does she now belong to? Okay, now look at me. Some of you, and, and, and I'm, this is not to shame, this is just the truth, there are many people that have been married and divorced, or you've been married and, and your partner has died, and you've been remarried. If you've been married or divorced, or if you've lost a spouse and remarried, just raise your hand just real quick. Okay, raise them up. Just keep them up. It's okay. We're not, we're not taking inventory. Um, <laughs> okay, you can put them down now. So, so this is the deal. Some of you have been married and either divorced and remarried or lost your spouse and then been remarried. Some of you have been married longer to your second husband or your second wife longer than you were married to your first husband or your first wife. So let me give you a scenario. You're married. Your husband or your wife dies, they go to heaven. You get remarried to a new husband or a new wife. That poor person, that poor guy up there, he's just waiting. I can't wait till she gets here. Boy, that's going to be fantastic. That's going to be that's going to be amazing. I'm waiting. Years and years and years go by. All the while you've remarried and now you've been married. Let's say you were married to your first husband for 7 years and you were married to your second husband for 25 years. You finally die. This guy's celebrating because he's been waiting for you to get to heaven and then all of a sudden shortly after your second husband comes, and your first husband's like, she's mine. And your second husband's like, well, how long were you married to her? I was married seven years. I was married 25 years. So now you don't have heaven because everybody's fighting. What you have is the bachelor. <laughs> Whose wife is she going to be? 
this is the question, and it's a very real question. And so, so Jesus answers this question in Matthew 22 and verse 29. He says, you are mistaken. He says, you're not understanding the Scriptures. In the resurrection, there is neither marriage or people given in marriage. He's saying, listen, you've missed it. But this is the issue that we have and why it hurts so bad is because we don't have any frame of reference outside of what we understand now. And so it makes sense. It's like, well, of course we're going to be married. But I'm just telling you this. Our desire is, listen, don't check out on me yet, okay? Our desire is to be reconnected to the point that we're connected on the earth. And I'm just telling you this, that everything that we experience on the earth is just a foreshadow. It's just a glimpse of the amazing stuff that God has for us in heaven. But because we only understand what we only understand, it almost breaks our heart to think that we're not going to be married to the person that we were married to on the earth. But you need to know that the Bible, your Bible says that, I'm not reading a weird translation up here, your Bible says that there is no marriage nor people given in marriage in heaven. It's not there. But I can tell you this, as fulfilling as heaven, as the earth is in marriage, heaven I really believe this, and this is a stretch because I don't know. I feel like it's going to be a thousand times better than anything that we could ever experience on the earth. But please know that you're not going to be married in heaven because it's not scriptural. People wrestle with that, and then I almost feel bad. It's like, well, that's kind of a made-up gospel. It's not scriptural because the Bible addresses it head on. Number four, this is a stretch. We will not crave sexual relationship in heaven. And one guy said to me this morning, well, sexual relationships is heaven to me. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) I promise you it won't be in hell. But once again, the primary reason for our sexuality is to procreate, to populate the earth. And it's a beautiful thing, and it, it, it shows us intimacy like no other way that we can experience. But once again, I feel like what, even if, as good as that is, amen somebody? As good as that is, it's just going to be a shadow of, of what it is that we experience, come on, in the full presence of God. We already realize that there's no marriage in heaven, and we're not making spirit babies in heaven. We're not, we're not, that's not, we're not doing that. The people that are in heaven came to heaven through Jesus Christ and Him crucified only. There's one way to the Father, and it's only through the Son. It's through a repentant heart of believing in my heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and confessing with my mouth. And then we're saved, right? There, there, it's, 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 there's some weird stuff out there. And just know that we've got to get a strong biblical um, uh, foundation as far as what this thing looks like. I believe that Jesus will be our everything and we will be completely fulfilled in ways that we've only... In, 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 just think about this for a second. There have been times where you've experienced the presence of God in a, in a place where it's been so overwhelming that all you could do is sit down... I've been driving down the road and a song comes on the radio and I'm telling the anointing that came 
uh, in my car. It caused me, the only thing I could do is just wipe my eyes enough to pull over and then just sit there and experience a love like, like, like I've only felt a, a couple of times in my whole life. Like, like if I could stay there forever, I, there's, I, I wouldn't give it up for anything. It was momentarily, maybe 10 minutes at the most, but if God would have allowed me, I would have, I would have just stayed there because it was so beautiful. And I believe that even that is just, is just such a small percentage of what heaven is going to be like whenever we are in the fullness of God who loves us so much. And we're not going to, I really don't think we're going to be thinking about sexual relationship um, at, that, at that time. The last thing is, is, or number five is this, we will not grieve we will not grieve over those that are not in heaven. This is a stretch. This is, a, this is my opinion. Um, and, and, and I'm not saying that this is gospel. But I, I have a real difficult time in my mind being in heaven, but yet, but yet being tormented by people that I love on the earth that didn't make it. Um, I don't know that that would be heaven like I think heaven is, is going to be, but I don't believe that we will grieve over those that are not in heaven. The Bible in this, in this, uh, in this passage of Scripture it talks about a great divide where the rich man was able to see uh, Father Abraham with Lazarus, the beggar, by his side. And, um, and, and this is a stretch as well. I'm reaching. I'm reaching. Don't, don't put any stock in this. But whenever the Bible talks about how, how, and this is my opinion, I want to be clear about that, but when the Bible talks about how there's a great divide where you can't cross over either direction, I believe that, that um, the, the thoughts of the person that's in heaven will not be able to cross over. They're going to be so filled with joy. Might be a stretch, but I'm, just work with me here. They're going to be so filled with joy that that's not going to enter their mind. But I also believe that part of the torment, and, I, and I, I don't think this is much of a stretch, part of the torment of people that denied Christ probably multiple times because they'll be given multiple opportunities to, to receive Him, but they don't want to have anything to do with God's plan or purpose for their life or the wisdom and things like that. They deny Him. I believe that they will be able to see what it is that, that their loved ones are experiencing and um, might be a stretch but I think that that's going to be part of the torment is seeing what it is that they gave up on that God had for them. Please don't put stock in that. That's my personal opinion. If you've got a different opinion, I would love to visit with you about that. All right, so in closing, I want to just say this. Heavenly-minded people think about who's at their gate. Heavenly-minded people think about who's at their gate. I want you to think about this just right now. Who is... You know, who's, in your, who's, who's at, your, at your place of, of, of employment? You know, you go into, into that place, and it might be the very person that just aggravates you the most. You're like, man, life would be so much better if this guy would just get fired or leave or even worse things than that. You just, you, you have a real disdain for them. You know, when I think of Peter and Cornelius... I think that these are two polar opposites. You got a Jew and you got a Gentile. 
But God saw fit, come on, to send Peter to somebody that was completely opposite to him to share the gospel so that he could be saved. Amen? So I wonder if God, too, you know, there's people that just irritate you. Maybe it's the neighbor. You know what I mean? They don't cut their bushes. Their tree's growing on your property. You got to deal. They got a little dog that comes and does his business on your yard, and they don't even have the, uh, the right mind to clean it up. You know what I mean? They're always complaining about something. Come on, that neighbor. You know that neighbor. Your neighbor. That person that just drives you crazy and nuts. Come on, that person is at your gate. Is it possible that they have been positioned there solely for you to share the good news with them? Right? You know, you think that you were just born into a certain family. You think that you're just a son. You think that you're just a brother or a sister. You think that you're just a mom or a dad. You think you're just a grandma and a grandpa. You think you're just a cousin. But I know many families that there's one or two people in the whole family that are saved. Like they came to a place of hearing the gospel and it changed their life. I know so many like that. Is it possible that God with all of his divine wisdom positioned you in that family knowing that you were going to be the first one to be saved so that you could share the gospel with them that changes the whole course, the whole direction of of your family. Is it possible? I think so. I think it's very possible. But you know what? We have to have the hard conversation. You know, it's funny. Sometimes, especially whenever it comes to family, we're afraid to offend them. We don't want to ruffle any feathers. Oh my gosh, if I was to approach the situation and call out the sin or just, or just say, listen, God's got a better life for you, then that's going to rock the boat. And You know, everybody's going to be in a bad mood if we do that. Come on, can I just tell you this? That heaven is worth it. In fact, I would say this, that if you love that person enough, you would call them on their sin. You would call them as a family on the rebellious spirit that they have. Come on, they know better, but they, they, they're just like, they don't care, and they're making excuses as to why it is that they're doing what they're doing. If you really believe in the gospel message that there's life and death, how they live here is going to depend how they live there. And if they are just, if they are just numb to the Spirit of God speaking in their life, then they're already condemned. Go and preach the good news to anybody, and if they believe and are baptized, they will be saved. If they do not believe, if they refuse to believe, if they refuse to listen, they're already condemned, but we should be moved to have the conversation that says, listen, you're in a place of rebellion, and I love you so much, even if you fail to talk to me for the rest of your days, I'm going to have a conversation with you because I love you so much. I don't want you to live in that place of agony. I don't want you to live in that place of torment. I don't want you to live in that place of fire because it's real. It's very real, and it deserves a conversation. Are we going to allow the people that are in our families that we love to not hear the good news because they believe a different religion, to not hear a good news because we're afraid of offending them and they might not come around for a while. My, my vote is yes. 
do whatever it takes in love, but sometimes you have to hit the thing head on and be serious enough about it that, listen, your life is in the balance right now. The next decision that you make is extremely important. I'm telling you it's worth it because as beautiful and wonderful as heaven is, and it's, it's where God intends for all of us to be, there's crazy beliefs out there that there's only a select few that God wants to be with him. Ridiculous. My heart is that none would perish, but all would have eternal, everlasting life with me. That's God's heart. It's God's heart. And he loves you. And I'm telling you what, if you're steeped in sin... I want you to know that there's a Savior that died for you. Come out of that place. Let the voice of reason speak to your heart. Let the Spirit of God speak to you. Come out from among those people that you have nothing to do with. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off because it's better that you enter into eternity. Come on, without a hand than to than to, to be in the fiery pits of hell. Sever that thing. Do whatever it takes. Get radical. If you got to move to a different state, go. If you don't ever talk to your family again, it's worth it. I'm telling you what, I am sharing with you the gospel message, which is good news to those that will hear and receive. God loves you. He will forgive you. He will redeem you. He will, take, he will redeem the days that the enemy has stolen from you. Nothing is lost. The only thing is lost is if you become hard-hearted, numb, you allow your conscience to be seared. And guess what? This is what's going to happen if that's the case. You're going to stop hearing from him. And if you think he's going to come around again, he might. I don't know God. But you know what? He might not. He just might be like, listen, I sent this person, I sent that person, I sent my best. He rejected. Well, maybe if somebody came back from the dead, then they would receive it. No, if they're not going to receive it from the prophets and Moses, they're not going to receive it. They are too far gone already. I want everybody in this place just to close your eyes. Everybody in this place just to close your eyes. I want you to think of that person or those people that God has positioned at your gate. I believe Holy Spirit is speaking to everybody right now to where you have been positioned in their life to be that sole person that maybe is to share the gospel. And maybe you've been insecure about it. What do I say? How do I say it? What do I do? It's going to cause riffles. You know, they believe something totally different. Listen, you don't worry about all that. See, Holy Spirit is able to convict the heart of a man, to convict the heart of a woman, all you have to do is be willing and available and have faith and believe. It's not your job to save anybody, but it is your job to be used by God, come on, to, to be a part of that process. It's one-on-one. One on one. That's, how, that's how it works. And so I believe God is, is placing people on your minds. And you have, one, you have one of two things that you can do as that person pops into your mind. You can become hard-hearted towards them right now, like make up a decision. Well, that's just, that's crazy. There's no way I would ever have that conversation with this person. I wouldn't feel comfortable either sharing the gospel with them because they might laugh at me or reject me or 
or whatnot. Or, um, you know, there's no way I can, I can bring correction, you know, to their rebellious living because I'm not perfect. Listen, God doesn't use perfect people. He uses imperfect people. And guess what? In and through that, sometimes both of you grow through it. You know, I can't, I can't be used to, to help somebody else through their stuff because I'm not perfect. It's a lie from the, the pit of hell itself. Sure, you're not perfect. Sure, you got your own junk. But God will still use you, and you might help yourself by helping somebody else through their stuff. But God is putting some people on your heart right now. You can either you can embrace it and make a commitment that I'm going to be used. I'm going to enter into conversation, trusting the Lord, easy or tough, whatever it means. I'm praying that God, you know what I mean, makes up the difference. Or you've already, you've already that name has come into your heart, and you've already made a decision as to why it's not going to work and you're not going to be used. You've hardened your heart towards the person that God wants to use you to save and to bring out from that place. And I'm just saying, don't do that. Like, that's the worst thing that you can do. Best thing you can do is just be obedient. Lord, okay, I'm going to stumble through it. I'm going to trip my way through it. But God, I need, you to, I need you to do it. God uses people. Very rarely do I ever see somebody, they're looking for, you know, something amazing and miraculous to happen without faith. See, that's, that's a cop-out. That's a cop-out. Do you have faith enough to believe that God can use you to help somebody else, to bless somebody else? You either do or you don't. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. So Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. I don't know if we messed things up or we made things better this morning. I have no idea. I just know this, that heaven is a big topic that I don't know enough about and we probably won't know enough about until we get there. But I believe wholeheartedly, like everything in my being believes that what we experience here is just a fraction of the goodness that you have for us there. And I just, I, I'm, I'm, I'm longing for that day. I'm not going to rush to that place. But Lord, I'm grateful for the promise of spending eternity with you for those that are in Christ Jesus. And my prayer is that this church would take responsibility for the people God, that you have placed in our lives, in our families, in our workplaces, our neighbors, even the stranger that we bump into that we don't know, that as, Lord, you begin to move on our hearts, that we would share the gospel. The Bible says in Mark 15, 16, go into all the world. Go into all the world and preach the good news. Just tell them the good news. Listen, there's so much good news. Tell them that Jesus has died, but he's rose again. And if you believe in him, you too will live. It's great news. If they believe and are baptized, they'll be saved. They'll go to heaven. They'll be with Jesus. They'll be with the whole family. They'll be with everybody. It's going to be magnificent, better than we can imagine. But if they don't believe, they will be condemned. It's not our job to save anybody. It's our job to take the good news. We are carriers. We're, we're the mailmen of the gospel. That's it for today's teaching. Hey, here's an idea. Share today's message with a friend or family member. If you're listening from outside our fellowship, we'd love to meet you. Visit graceid.org and hit the contact form to get in touch. We'd also love for you to join us. Services are Sundays at 8.45 and 11 a.m., as well as our Wednesday evening service at 6.30 p.m. 
You can even check us out on Facebook Live by searching Facebook for Grace Church Rupert ID. Learn more and plug in at graceid.org. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Grace Community Church.